This is Game Agent E.T. That is the six-button samurai. This is episode 16 of Oh God, It Hurts. Oh God, It Hurts! Oh God, It Hurts! Wow. I don't know how Nintendo of America did it, man. I I, I felt kind of soulless when I was giving that intro. I don't know, man. They're they're cold like soba. I know. (laughs) Nothing... It's like revenge, man. Revenge is like a dish of cold soba, I guess. I don't know what mm-hmm. we did to Nintendo deserve to deserve such a a cold, cold greeting. But anyways, uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah. Once again, yes, I am Game Agent E.T. Yes, you are. My co-host, the Six Button Samurai. How are you doing? Good, sir. I'm well. Um, I was intrigued by something. I saw that you just posted that... Um, you found Twin Peaks on a streaming service in Japan? Yes, I did. It's uh, in have a, you yeah. watched much of anything uh, by David Lynch to this point? Can you tell me what he did? Because I'm not too familiar with David Lynch, to be honest. Okay. Have you ever seen like Eraserhead? No. Or <laughs> Blue Velvet? No. <laughs> or Mulholland Drive? No. <laughs> So what is it the podcast work of some of our companions on the Ruminations Radio Network that sparked yes. this curiosity? Not only that, our uh leader in the the Ruminations Radio Network, uh Mitch, he yeah. is a big fan of Twin Peaks. Big Mitch, the Prince of Fucking Darkness. Oh yes. So So that's why I started watching it. Um, I just want to I want to hand you this thing to hold on to with regard yes. to David Lynch because I for a long time was curious about his work but mm-hmm. um the first few times I tried to watch something of his like I just didn't get it like it was cruising over my head and on past and I was just like what do I need to like get in because like clearly lots of people worship this guy yeah adore his films adore the show twin peaks etc etc and so one of the most valuable pieces of advice i ever got about david lynch is the idea that yes he tells stories and yes there's usually some semblance of a traditional narrative going on, but he doesn't feel the need to service that all the time. In fact, there are times when he just wants to stop and do some weird shit because he's David Lynch. And that's the kind of thing he does. He loves to leave room for what he calls abstractions. Yeah. So, When you're watching his stuff, don't try to hang on to every little detail or expect this sort of traditional driving, like, narrative thing that you've come to expect from virtually every other piece of media you've ever consumed. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Like, just (laughs) let it wash over you. Like, connect with the characters. Try to understand what they're doing. But, like, realize that there's a lot 
that he's just layers into things because he's a very varied and compelling human being and he just likes doing some weird shit sometimes and just let it wash over you let it wash over you try and take it for what it is but like don't grind too hard like well i don't know why that happened you know what i mean like if you try to make too much sense out of it Hmm. you're gonna miss it so don't do that yeah I will keep that in mind. Thank you for the uh, heads up. Um, yeah. Isn't there a game series that kind of is inspired by Twin Peaks? Isn't it Deadly? I, I can't pronounce the name. Premonition? Deadly Premonition? Premonition. There you go. Uh, yeah. I am not familiar with Deadly Premonition, so I couldn't. I couldn't elaborate. But I know that there's... A lot of video game makers and a lot of other creatives that, you know, reference Twin Peaks all the time. Yeah. So, you know, my girlfriend happens to be, you know, an obsessive Twin Peaks fan. And so we began watching the original series, like back when the pandemic first started and now we've actually run through that a few times huh along with the follow-up showtime series that takes place 25 years later pug plug semi-intended um yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know it's um I think it's really funny that this episode of Oh God, It Hurts just went on this total sidecar, but you know what, whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, just don't, ex- don't, don't try to make too much sense out of it. Just let it ride. Well, I'm just glad I'm finally jumping in the rabbit hole and I want to see what this is all about. And I know our, our network was kind of founded on these, on this TV show. Well, so, yes. Oh, because be our, our our fearless leader is quite the Twin Peaks slash David Lynch obsessive. Yeah. So, of course, this was eventually going to take a Blue Rose tangent. But, you know, that is yeah. uh, that's how these things go. And I think that's one of the uh, new shows that's on the, the network now, Blue Rose Task Force. Yep. Yep. If you're interested, go to RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. You can find that and many more. Yeah, so it'll be really exciting for you, I'm sure, if you're a Twin Peaks fan. Yep. But yeah, all right. Let's head on over to the water cooler. All right, and as I mentioned uh, in the intro, uh, the reason why I kind of gave that cold opening is because uh, there was a tweet from Nintendo of America where (laughs) it was a little weird, but uh, it was an announcement from... Shigeru Miyamoto, who, as you know, is the creator of Mario, um, he sent out a tweet saying uh, something about the movie, and it went a little something like this, and I quote, uh, This is Miyamoto. After consulting with... <laughs> I'm going to try that. <laughs> All right, I'm going to try to finish, but <laughs> stupid. <laughs> Uh, 
I, I think I need like a booming voice, like, you know, an overlord trying to talk to his uh, followers. His voice isn't booming at all. <laughs> He's just like very garden variety, kind of soft spoken Japanese gentleman. I know. But the way <laughs> people took his it. red even weirder. Yeah. But. It's just so weird how it just came off, but uh, I'll try to continue. <laughs> okay. okay. Basically, it said, This is Miyamoto. After consulting with Chris-san, my partner at Illumination on the Super Mario Brothers film, we decided to move the global release to spring 2023, April 28th in Japan and April 7th in North America. My deepest apologies, but I promise it will be well worth the wait. <laughs> there you go (laughs) so james of course (laughs) this became a thing yes instant meme yeah yeah the day of (laughs) well it's just i mean number one it's extra funny because like this was really the only way this could have happened because i don't think shigeru miyamoto actually has his own social media presence does he no, no Twitter. Right. I don't think no, no anything. I mean, and it's Japan. I mean, right. some people in Japan don't don't. I mean, but it's also interesting that like of all the people that could, mm-hmm. like, he would have an enormous following. Oh yeah, like we just we know this. Like you, I, most people we know would yeah. follow him if he had his own presence. So it's just really funny that like because the thing i always think about with this kind of stuff or like you know those sad sort of fake dms yeah it's like this is zack snyder if you could send me 200 bucks <laughs> i can call up um uh. all the justice league people and we can make the next movie <laughs> Sounds like a crowdfunding project. <laughs> well, it's just like there's a lot of stupid scams and hustles that begin this way. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, you would think if you were going to do something like this, like you could literally just shoot some footage of Miyamoto. Exactly. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, since you're the quite the social media maven i was gonna ask what would you do in this situation if you worked at nintendo of america i absolutely would have tried whatever i could have to have just gotten some video footage of miyamoto making this announcement yeah because it seems very hastily put together and usually Mm. when things come off as hastily put together or like far outside of whatever your established norms are for your channel. Yeah. That's when people are like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I know. Although I think it's funny here because, you know, it sort of took off quote unquote in a way that they could have never imagined. Yeah. And I think there's a great lesson here about social media writ large. Like they call it going viral for a reason. Yeah. Because you have absolutely no real idea 
what thing you're going to do or what chord you're going to strike with people that will suddenly cause some specific post or piece of content to just take off into the stratosphere. Yeah. Like you just don't know, you never truly know what these things are going to do in the wild once released. Like I had managed the same set of social media channels for most of the last five years. And what you tend to do, you're never really aiming like, Oh, this is going to be a thing that's just going to take off and be this massive thing. Like on a day-to-day basis, you're just striving to sort of please your audience. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you kind of, by virtue of the data you pull in your engagement stats, yada, yada, you go, Oh, okay. Like this is what they really, really like this. Not so much. I'm going to strive to do more of this for this audience. And that's pretty much like the most, you can really aim for depending on what kind of channels they are. But yeah, this is a, this is a strange and funny one to try and dissect (laughs) for like, for all the reasons that it developed this completely unintended life of its own. Well, yeah, I mean, it overshadowed the topic that it originally was trying to cover, which was the movie, right? No one's talking about right. the movie anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. No one is even really phased by the fact that this movie is delayed, like what, an additional uh, six months or? Close to a year. Yeah. April yeah. 28th in Japan, April 7th in America. In 2023. Yeah. So yeah. it's, yeah. Um, but like you said, uh, sometimes you just got to relay the information, set it through, see what happens. And right. I think uh, uh, another person that has been in the news from Nintendo, or formerly from Nintendo, Reggie Fees Ame, um, mm-hmm. he re- recently released a book, uh, and uh, he's been doing interviews and uh there has been a lot of people i mean i'm sorry uh there have been a lot of excerpts from his book by mm-hmm. web- websites and things like that and uh from all things nintendo i believe that this is the podcast name um mm-hmm. they did an interview with them and he talked about uh how he became an overnight meme and his son once uh i i think if you remember uh when he first got into nintendo it was like about 2003 and mm-hmm. he had to do something for e3 the following year yeah and i don't know if you remember this but the way he introduced himself he said something about i'm all about kicking ass and taking names mm-hmm. uh i'm not sure what the exact quote was but this is coming from a family friendly company nintendo right and right. he became an overnight meme and mm-hmm. his son was saying oh dad um you're like trending like crazy after what you <laughs> just said on e3 and he said oh yeah. really now so he he told his son can you give me all the websites and let me take a look at this and i'll share it with uh, the people at nintendo mm-hmm. and, and he did that and then what he learned from this experience was get all the feedback whether it's positive or negative Mm -hmm. and use that feedback to help your company yes don't just ignore it so just like what you said 
you know? Sometimes uh, what you say on social media takes a life of its own, mm-hmm. but you can learn valuable lessons from oh, the yes. reactions. So, <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, it was uh, that was a huge thing that I learned with my last job was that too often when you know X company or organization decides to pursue a social media presence, they focus so heavily on the output. Like we've got to put out content and da, 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 da. and yet many organizations or businesses neglect the social listening yeah. portion of that. And it's every bit as valuable, you know, because the thing that most marketers know is that when you put out surveys, mm-hmm. People tend to fill out surveys for the worst reasons. Either they just want the prize involved or there could be some other reason. But the thing that they know overwhelmingly is that people lie to surveys all the time. Like when they read a survey, they tend to think, oh, this is probably the answer I should give. However, in the same breath, they will respond honestly to other pieces of content offered on social media all the time Hmm. because there's no like pressure or weird spotlight on them. So So, that is the true litmus test. Well, I would just say that social listening has far more value over a long period of time than any sort of like concocted survey. Because again, people like to lie to surveys now. So, but I guess, uh, (laughs) if they're not pressured, like you said, they'll definitely say what's on their mind without hesitation. Oh, that's interesting to know. I, I never thought of it that way, but that's exactly what's happening right now. So, (laughs) um, well, it's also funny because I mean, like naturally Reggie became a Nintendo fan favorite over a long period of time. And, you know, there's definitely, like, some more sour grapes happening with his mentioning of the Mother 3 localization that never happened. Yeah, (laughs) that has always been a hot topic. But to be honest, he handled it a lot better than most would because he kind of got to the point where he joked about it because he finally uh, revealed, I believe, in the book, he said, well, I tried to do all I could to bring out Mother 3 to Northern American territories and Western territories, but right. uh, it w- it was proven to be a little difficult because of the translation. And also, people at Nintendo Japan were kind of skeptical, saying, oh, I don't know if this is going to be worth our time because it's a smaller game and it was released quite a long time ago, so why would people care? But well, it's just really, strange. Yeah. Like, I feel like Nintendo has such a weirdly kind of schizophrenic relationship with that franchise because yeah, it's a long time staple in Japan, and it's mm-hmm. got a rock solid fan base there. 
Yeah. Here it's got like this really rabid and loud but small kind of cult fan base around it. Yeah. Yet they seem to try and like sate that fan base in really like inconsistent ways. Like, you know, yeah. they finally re-released Earthbound. What was it? I think it was originally on the Wii U virtual console and, and 3DS. And 3DS. Um, and then yeah. they just recently coughed up what is, um, Earthbound Zero yeah. on the, um, whatchamacallit? In Nintendo service, uh, Switch Online service. Right, right, right. So, yeah, I don't, I just, I don't know why you would, like, sort of dribble that stuff out when, like, you're obviously not giving it like the full effort that it might deserve. Like, yeah, it seems like there was a real lost opportunity, particularly when you had like on the GBA, you had the collection with like mother one and two, right? Yeah. And that was uh Japan only, I think. Mm-hmm. And they all, of course, uh, it was a uh, mother three was a GBA title and Yeah. I don't know why they didn't bring it out back then, but it's proven to be a lot harder to bring out now because from what I understand, the uh, isn't there some sort of code that uh, with the text, it's hard to display it on a bigger screen or something like that. And I don't know the, uh, when I read that it totally surprised me because I thought it would be kind of simple to kind of bring it out. Even right. if it's a GBA title, but apparently it's not as easy as it sounds. Weird. on top of the translation but reggie fought for it i mean he talked yeah. with uh satoru iwata uh the late satoru iwata about bringing it out and this was one of many things that he had to fight tooth and nail to bring stuff to the U, uh northern territory uh northern american territories or kind of change the way nintendo did things because mm -hmm. um, bringing back to what I just said about, you know, I'm all about kicking ass and taking names type of thing with the E3 mm -hmm. uh, initial announcement. Uh, I think one of the managers at Nintendo of Japan were saying like, Re Reggie, why, why do you want to be so violent? <laughs> 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 why do you want to hurt, you know, kick, right. kick people's butts? <laughs> but That's he's funny. trying to explain, you know. This right. is this is a different style. This is different culture. He had right. to do that for the many years he was at Nintendo. He was trying to tell the the big wigs at Nintendo Japan, listen, this is how things work here, and it would not necessarily work the same as it would in Japan. Right. And there were some examples, like some things that he felt like he wanted to cut, like. The price tag for the 3DS was initially mm -hmm. 249, 249 US dollars. He wanted right. it to bring it down to 199 dollars, and they said no. But right. then something happened. I forget what happened with the uh, initial 3DS shipments. Uh, there, there was some sort of problem going on, and then mm -hmm. after six months, they they brought it down to 199. But initially, well, I know it just sold abysmally here. Yeah, yeah, and Reggie like, said at that two hundred and fifty dollar price tag. 
Exactly. But Reggie was like saying, yeah, I really recommend you cut the price. And yeah. they eventually relented because of the, uh, the poor sales. Right. So that was one example. The other example is Wii Sports. Mm-hmm. Being a pack-in to right. every Wii. Yeah, he apparently clashed with Miyamoto-san himself. Yeah. Uh, Miyamoto and Satoru Iwata were saying, we don't give away software for free. Right. Why would we want to do this? Which is ironic because when the NES and Super NES came out, they came out with the packing game. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was, well, I suppose in the context of the Japanese market, they're actually correct. Yeah. But they had a history of doing supremely well in the U.S. with pack-in games. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, I mean, that's, you can imagine what might have been a very different situation for the Wii if it exactly. had not had Wii Sports packed in in the U.S. Exactly. Would, have, would it have sold 100 million units? <laughs> yeah. That's, I, doubt, uh, I doubt it. It's funny, though, because, like, there is a real long history of, Ameri- you know, executives of American arms of these Japanese companies clashing like crazy with the home office because, you know, they have a better understanding of what works culturally or in terms of the value perception here in the U.S. You know, yeah. Tom Kalinsky famously got into a lot of fights with Sega of Japan over, you know, how they were going to market the Sega Genesis here. And, you know, for a long time, he won those battles and Sega of America did pretty damn well with that console here. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, variety of issues related to 32X and Sega Saturn spelled the end of Kalinsky's reign here. Yeah. But uh <laughs> but it's a funny thing to think about. It it's so vital to have that connection. Uh, uh if you have someone in the Northern American territories or European territories that just know how to work with this these relations and say and be strong enough to say, listen, we have to do this because they're it's not gonna fly <laughs> mm-hmm. if you do it the way that you do it in Japan. So you need someone right. that has that courage. And I guess another guy that was kind of controversial, but he did, you know, help with the progression of Sega, Bernie Stolar, I believe. Mm-hmm. He was also that type of person who was pretty strong about his opinions. And mm-hmm. he said, yeah, we got to do this this way or else we're not going to be selling units. So that's, yeah. Uh, Hopefully, in this day and age, Sony and uh, Microsoft, and well, I don't know about Microsoft, but definitely Nintendo, have those relationships still, because if not, things can go south pretty quick, and that this is Miyamoto tweet is kind of an example of, mm-hmm. yeah, if you don't have Just your pulse. Just an choice made, yeah. like... Clearly, that was something that probably came together in very short order because otherwise, like, yeah. you can easily imagine in your head what, like, 
the proper usual Nintendo way of addressing that would have been to just have a short video clip yeah. of Miyamoto himself actually doing yeah. it. Yeah. Not the text. Oh, this is Miyamoto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, you just don't have the, the, the finger on the pulse. You, you need right. a guy who knows that and knows yeah. what's up. And yeah, I mean, Doug Bowser is currently uh, doing what Reggie Fees Ame used to do, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how you let that slip, but hopefully it won't happen again. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Reggie is quite an interesting guy. I mean, I really want to read his book now. Uh, yeah. The the book, uh, if if you don't know already, he uh, released a book called Disrupting the Game. From the Bronx to the top of Nintendo, I believe you can you can get that uh, as a physical copy or audiobook. And nice. Yeah, I'm, I've been thinking about getting the audiobook because I heard yeah. it has some exclusive content. It has some interviews. Does he read it? Yeah, he reads it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. In fact, uh, he was kind of pushing for that because to because everyone knows what he sounds like. So. Right. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, and you'd be, be hearing that in your head anyway if you like read yeah. the actual book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'd be hearing yeah. his voice. It'd be kind of like the Morgan Freeman syndrome where mm-hmm. you'd be able to hear his voice regardless. So Yeah. But yeah, um yeah, he's a great guy. I hope he's doing well. And uh oh yeah, there was one more thing he talked about, which I don't know if I want to know your opinion on this. He mm-hmm. kind of mentioned about blockchain, how he would like to see yeah. some games. <laughs> He's jumping on that bandwagon. I can't believe it, James. Well, but but um, here's the thing. I yeah. can see how in spirit that as an idea would appeal to him. Yeah. Because, you know, he does strike me as somebody that cares about technology is into technology and Mm -hmm. you know just by virtue of the title of his book like he likes things that sort of challenge norms yeah um i think the issue that we're finding out and i guess you know he did in fact say this before the nft market completely shit itself in the past week (laughs) um yeah like I just I don't know like there's a very strange like you could almost call it the lazy valley where a new idea like this comes along and it seems like the overwhelming impulse to this point has been to try and graft it on to existing games or franchises in a relatively shitty and unimpressive way, which is why I think they bombed so far. I totally if you act yeah, and I'm just saying, like, if you had an actual, like, original sort of game idea or concept that made the use of this technology indispensable or made you go oh, shit, like, this is what's possible if you use this in an interesting way. Um, 
like it's always been the same thing with consoles right it's like show me the reason why i can't live without that machine now like what's the game what's the you know for lack of a better less beaten to death phrase what's the killer app right yeah like what's that new use of a thing that makes you go oh my god i have to have this machine because i can't live if i'm not able to play x right so it seems to me that if somebody really wanted to make you know nfts or blockchain technology compelling you would find a way to use it that is dependent on that technology but really makes clear why that's an interesting or worthwhile you know alternative way of delivering this sort of content exactly i totally agree because uh reggie was saying something about giving an example of hey if we saw this on animal crossing mm-hmm. where you can sell the stuff that you make wouldn't that be awesome and right we would say no because that's not what animal crossing is it's a kids game that some adults right. play yes but it's not like we're making our own etsy shop here <laughs> well, I mean, just- speaking of which like, my mother's a multi-millionaire a variety of times over in animal crossing <laughs> yeah but i think it would probably spook her out yeah if like real money or something resembling that wandered into that equation you know exactly like for a lot of people that would just be a uh-uh. like this is my stupid amusement device i don't need that extra layer of commerce <laughs> in the thing that i'm trying to do for amusement so i just think uh, long story short until they find a way to make that more of a fun and compelling thing that you realize can only be attained through the use of that technology, then it's just going to be them trying to make fetch happen. (laughs) (laughs) You know? (laughs) Thank you for introducing that movie to me. That, That has become one of my favorite movies now. I'm glad you enjoy Mean Girls, Ed. (laughs) <laughs> it's so so brilliant yeah and nft i hope uh they don't ever make that happen because just i don't understand it and anything that has to do with get rich quick schemes i i think it's well unique. that's the thing it's like you know i hear all this whining and complaining by people that believe in it like oh you guys just don't understand it and it's like well you're the one backing this thing that most people don't understand and just feel is a scam to this point. Yeah. So prove it, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, give us a concise reason, something that can be argued with something that is concrete, something that I can actually counterpoint or even like think about, Oh, you could be right. I mm-hmm. I haven't seen a single thing. And I'm sorry, but it gets to the point where it's almost like gambling. Yeah. 
And when it comes to that, I have, I, I don't think many people are interested in that. We just want to play games. Mm-hmm. We're not stock market people that want to see values of our NFTs rise and try to sell it while it's, I mean, if we want to do that. About practice, Ed. <laughs> we're talking about games. <laughs> we are talking about games, man. If I, if I want to do that stuff, I would do that in Animal Crossing with my bells. Right. <laughs> yeah. Not with my real money. Come on, man. Yeah. I don't want to lose real money. I just want to lose bells. I'll, like, I'll play I lose enough money games. buying all these games to begin with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyways, that's just hogwash, man. Oh, my God. I just hope that's a trend. But unfortunately, right. that's going to dominate uh, the news yeah. cycle for at least another year or so. I, I hope it gets buried quickly. But anyways, why don't we move on to the next topic, which is, uh, hmm, I think everyone knows who Yuji Naka is. Yes. Uh, he is the creator of Sonic, and he has uh, been the, the lead for a lot of games like Nights into Dreams, Burning Rangers, a lot of Sonic games. He's in the news because uh, he made a tweet recently. It was concerning his le- latest game called Balan Wonderworld. Mm-hmm. James, have you played this game? I have not. Okay. Well, it didn't get any favorable reviews. In fact, it, I believe it's one of the worst rated games on Metacritic. And, uh, yeah, he was trying to explain why it got that low of a score because he tweeted with a photo of himself outside a Japanese courtroom. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to explain, hey, guys, uh, I kind of sued uh, Square Enix. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's trying to explain why. So right. basically, there were two reasons why. Uh well, I'm sorry. Uh, he got removed from the project six months before it was completed or shipped mm-hmm. out the door. Right. And he wasn't removed by just one entity. He was removed by many. He, mm-hmm. uh, he, and he said it himself. He said, the people that removed me were the producer of the game, the head of the marketing department, the head of the sound department, the managing director, and the HR department. Mm-hmm. And there were two reasons why he was removed. He tried to explain that, number one, uh, he had a kind of an argument about a song that was being used in the game. Right. Uh, they built up an original score, but the dev team wanted to use a piano arrangement that was made by a YouTuber. Mm. And he got into a little bit of a hissy fit about that. Wow. And the second thing... Was it a that, cinephile hissy fit? More like a video game company hissy fit, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'm uh, just dropping <laughs> plugs today, son. Yes, you are. And that's good. That's <laughs> great. Cinephile hissy fit. Go listen Woo. to them. They are that's on ruminationsradionetwork.com. Anyways, uh, the second reason, uh, a person by the name of Naoto... Oshima, who is the original character designer of Sonic, and he also worked with, he works with Yuji Naka quite often. Uh, mm-hmm. He told the producer of the game uh, Balan Wonderworld that relations between Naka and the 
developer company Ar- Arzest was ruined because of comments that Mr. Naka made about the game. He kind of had some uh uh they shipped it with bugs still remaining in the in the code and he's just trying to tell them, "Hey, that's not cool." But they kind of ignored him, so he did another hissy fit. <laughs> so <laughs> because of those two things and his uh removal, he took them to court. And wow. he was trying to say things like yeah, Square Enix doesn't value game fans, I guess. And he was forbidden to respond to anyone on social media about the game until after the court ruling, which right. I don't know for sure what was the court ruling, if it was in favor of him or Square Enix, but little messy. What do yeah. you think, James? What's going on? Um, <laughs> How do you feel about this? You know, here's the thing. I adore the original sonic games um i also was a very big fan of the sega genesis slash mega drive port of ghouls and ghosts which was apparently yuji naka's first project yeah that i heard too um so i have respect for the guy even though just by virtue of his track record like I could never get into Knights despite trying because I I was a huge Sega Saturn fan, had a big collection of games for that system at one point. Yeah. Knights never really did it for me. Yeah. Really yeah. Also <laughs> never really did it for me. <laughs> I don't know anyone who, you know. Yeah. I don't know anyone who's a fan of that game, to be honest, but. I just, I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't really understand like what it is that he's been after with these subsequent games. I mean, yeah, it feels fundamentally like on a certain level, he's just trying to remake the same game and come up with some kind of a new result. Like slight variations, but like, you know, a mascot platformer at its core. Um, but by the same token, like there was a long history of really talented, creative people who have proven to be kind of a nightmare to work with, or maybe not a nightmare. Maybe a nightmare is too strong. Maybe just challenging, you know, because Oftentimes with people like that, they've got such a specific vision in their head mm-hmm. for what it is they're trying to do. And some of them are a lot better at sharing what those visions are with other creatives yeah. than others. Um, and it sounds like with this project, like the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle between yeah. what the other peop- people working on this game at Square Enix were experiencing and what Yuji is sharing via Twitter now. Um, you know, who knows at the end of the day. Um, I also think it's kind of a bummer, really, because, like, you see what 
a variety of other people that were creatives in the absolute heyday making games are doing now like contrast this situation with what the tengu project folks are doing you know yeah making these amazing remakes of games like wild guns ninja warriors and now pocky and rocky like holy shit like that's the way to do it you know what i mean like going in and putting together these unbelievably lovely like revised versions of games that stay absolutely true to what the original mechanics were but then just going steps further yeah like damn like can you imagine what it would be like if yuji naka were of that mindset and was himself working on sonic origins with like the folks at headcanon now oh that that that, could be tremendous you know it would be a great revival i would think yeah Um, everyone should be like tengu project because (laughs) or the guys at m2 putting together these terrific shooter compilations you know yeah I mean, he's been playing uh, some right now. Uh, We'll talk about that later, but I agree. It's all about teamwork. It's all about communication. And it's all about having those great relations that drive you further. Right. Because if you don't have those relations, you have this Discord, you're going to have terrible games because it's going to be very apparent when you play it. I mean, I know from my own experiences in the workplace... Mm-hmm. Like when I am really, really connected with my teammates, and I know that they are striving to deliver their absolute best work, whatever yeah. it is, that pushes me in ways that I am not capable of on my own. You know yeah. what I mean? The motivation becomes completely different. And. You know, there are creatives, especially like in the world of film, who, you know, they've got such specific things, but the ones that are really successful are the ones that are actually able to share that vision in a way that allows others to collaborate and deliver the desired result. Yeah. So it's it's too bad that Yuji Naka... You know, depending on who you believe, there's certainly some issues in relaying what his vision was for this project to the rest of his teammates. Whether or not it was his fault or their fault or, you know, we'll never know. But I don't know. It's it's a little bit of a bummer. Yeah. I mean, Yuji Naka's got a be a little bit more pragmatic i mean i was surprised after reading uh, his wikipedia page this wasn't the first time he had a dust up with some people uh, right. that he worked with there were many i think uh the most famous one that i i've seen is uh uh i think you know what geist is right right yeah it's uh a never released uh dreamcast game that sega of, of america was working on and mm-hmm. uh, somebody who was the lead of that project, uh, I don't know if you heard the story, but basically 
this guy was on a, a podcast called the Retro Hour Podcast. Um, mm-hmm. They interviewed a guy named Mark uh, Sabotnik, I believe that's his name. Mm-hmm. And he was the project lead. And uh, he said uh, one day Yuji Naka came to visit his team uh, with a bunch of Japanese representatives. And then while they were working, Yuji Naka was talking to his reps in Japanese. And he blatantly said without holding anything back, I want you to get whatever tech they're doing for this game, use it in our Sonic game, and then fire everyone except one of the guys who worked on the engine and keep them for the Sonic game that we're working on. And he didn't know that most of the the dev team for Geist Force could speak fluent Japanese. (laughs) Wow. So, yeah. Uh, straight from the guy's mouth. That's what he said. And that kind of proves Yuji Naka. I don't know. He's got some things he has to work on as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like, yeah, it's not a people person. Well, I mean, you just, you know, it's one thing to have a real specific vision and be really passionate about it, et cetera, et cetera. But if you can't break that down into little pieces for, you know, whatever skilled collaborators you've got to be able to actually work on and bring to life, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Nope. You know, whatever your vision is may as well not even exist if you can't delegate some of that shit or, you know, be able to communicate what that thing is and try to ensure that, you know, they understand what it is you want and it's within their skill set, you know? Yeah. But even that, I mean, Geist Horse sounded pretty cool. And why would you kind of want to just dismiss it and just say, I just want to take the scraps, put it on my team without even like fully absorbing what this game could be for for the dreamcast right so yeah just disappointing overall uh it kind of made me see yuji naka the man in a different light i don't hate the sonic games or any of the games he made at all it doesn't change my opinion on that but when it comes to yuji naka yeah i can't see him the same anymore he's not untouchable like i'm sure some people would think he is because just because he created a popular character in the video game world. That's just my thoughts. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Oh, well, but <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I guess the final thing we can talk about is uh, the NVIDIA company uh, was fined 5.5 million this week by the U.S. SEC for not disclosing that a large portion of its profits in 2017 were, in fact, from sales to crypto miners, (laughs) something omitted from their required disclosures. So (laughs) what's going on there, James? (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a fascinating thing because, as we know from recent times, for most of the time they've been available, the NVIDIA 30 series RTX cards have been largely unavailable or 
ridiculously expensive should you happen to stumble upon one. Um, and back in 2017, a similar situation had evolved because people were mining Ethereum and the cards were also skyrocketing in price then. This last wave of it with the 30 series cards is made even worse because of the chip shortage. Um, but now you've actually got those cards becoming affordable again because of the crackdown on crypto mining in China. So I don't know, like it's a bizarre thing to see the sort of rise, fall rise of these cards as such a, like, like as such an, uh, a literal commodity, you know, like being rocked by these strange forces in the marketplace. So I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of people are just jonesing to try and finally build themselves like a proper gaming rig. Yeah. Um, I think I might actually take on building one myself in the next couple of weeks because I don't have a computer now as I'm actually between jobs at the moment. I've got a new one starting by the end of the month. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very strange thing. And as far as NVIDIA being fined for it, like, you know, people have already had their suspicions about them. Like, you know, with this latest series of cards, they actually tried, um, you know, having some of them not be able to be used for crypto mining, which I think like most of those folks found hacks around that sort of thing anyway. Hmm. But then people are also wondering like, well, did NVIDIA just do this for the sake of appearances? Like, oh no, we're on your gamer side. Or at the end of the day, like, do they really not give a shit because they're selling cards either way? You know what I mean? Like, it's all very hard to sort of pick apart. Um, what, what, one one question I was I I'm trying to wrap my head around this, but do yeah. they give prefer uh like uh the special treatment for crypto miners to give them the cards instead of selling it to just your everyday computer user i don't know if it was a matter of them like being preferential to those dealers or not i mean i don't know what that sort of yeah supply chain looks like from nvidia's point of view mm -hmm. um i think what this had to do specifically is like any sort of publicly traded entity like yeah. there's a variety of like there's a certain level of transparency that has to be achieved when documenting like, yes, we're a publicly listed company and you know, this is our complete ledger from this last year. And we made this from this and this much from this, like, and I think like on a base level, like with whatever happened in 2017, NVIDIA just wasn't terribly forthcoming hmm. about what was happening, but it's sort of, you know, it incites further questions about like what's been happening these last two years with, you know, the impossible to get nature of their cards. And then suddenly like 
oh, they cracked down on crypto. Now, oh, these cards seem to be falling in price again, you know? (laughs) So it's just one more sort of milepost in what is a very strange nexus between like, you know, cryptocurrency miners and these cards and gamers that just, you know, want to have killer frame rates and yeah seem to have difficulty nailing these things down still well okay so that thank you for explaining that part now i have another question i guess um what is crypto mining because i i don't know what that is to be honest <laughs> I, I i think about little robots mining uh little mines f- uh for for nft coins or something like that that's what the image i have <laughs> i'm certainly not an expert in cryptocurrency yeah and that is a topic that's just it's too too big for us to fuck with here i would say <laughs> yeah so i mean that's why when i see something that's involving crypto mining i mm-hmm. I, I don't know what to think I don't know yeah. if it's the real mine or if it's just like some sort of computer that's running in the background earning money by doing blockchain stuff or whatever. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I just know that it's a thing that consumes a shit ton of electricity and like it's not great from an environmental perspective. It seems to be shrouded and strange levels of secrecy yeah i don't know man i just know like i would like to have a rig that can you know play doom eternal at a nice crispy 120 frames sometime before the end of the decade so that would be nice i think that that is the main story yeah go get yourself a new nvidia card while they're while they're cheap (laughs) While they're yeah. somewhat marginally affordable or resemble the stated MSRP. <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's take a break real quick. Uh, oh, God, it hurts as part of the Ruminations Radio Network. And what you're about to hear is from a host from another podcast that's also on the RRN. So if you'd like to listen to the show, please do visit the network uh, website at ruminationsradionetwork.com. We'll be right back. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Red Rum. All things horror, from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out. But hurry. The killer's behind you. All right, and we're back. So, uh, James, are you into uh, Marvel movies? You know, I'm going to be honest here. Yeah, I haven't partaken of anything new on the Marvel side since no? Endgame. Really? Wow. Really? So that's at least two or three years that you've been out on the out of the loop, I guess. Because I guess yeah, I, mean, uh, I haven't doing... watched. I haven't watched any of the shows on Disney Plus. Hmm. I didn't see the two Spider Man movie that have movies that have come out um yeah i just i don't know what it is man like Hmm. it's not that i suddenly think they're bad it's just that i think i'm just superheroed out 
I don't blame you. I mean, how long has this been going on? The Marvel Cinematic Universe? It's been uh, uh, since the original Iron Man, which was like 2007, eight. It seems longer than that, to be honest. But yeah, it's almost almost 14 years, 15 years. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. It's amazing that they sustained it that long. But I was going to say, if you saw the newest Doctor Strange movie, because it just came out here in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. It came out during Golden Week. It was good. I liked it. Yeah. Um, Nice. I was really happy with it um i am a big marvel fan i know Optimus from retro futurist culture uh also on the ruminations radio network uh under the banner yeah so uh, many I, plugs today yeah i know and guess I what know. cinephile hissy fit they uh brought out a review on uh-huh. the new doctor strange movie so check them out if you want to if you after you watch the movie of course but yeah mm-hmm good uh i already listened to the shows great to hear their opinions about it but yeah I, f- I feel like wayne right now like i should just start talking about pizza hut while eating a slice of pizza yeah and then i should pull out this little pill that and i should say something like little yellow different uh-huh <laughs> what what aspirin was that what was it newprin uh little yellow diff- i think it was new print yeah they don't make those anymore i know (laughs) we're on the nostalgia trip right now i think so yeah it's crazy but anyways why don't we uh get to now playing so james what are you playing right now i have been in a shmup based frenzy for a while now now I discussed before that I've been playing lots of Katsui. Destiny. Destiny. My favorite game. Um, (laughs) And that game is delightful, but I've also been ensnared by the M2 made. um, One of them is from the uh, Toa Plan Arcade Garage series. And that is... I'm just going to refer to them by their U.S. names as both Sky Shark and Fire Shark. Um, I think the first one is like uh, Hisho So Same. Something like that, like, right? Yeah. Same, Same, right. Um, but at any rate, I hadn't played those games in a hell of a long time. And I remember Sky Shark was a game that seemed to be in a lot of locations around Tucson way back when. Yeah. Um, so I, I always loved Sky Shark. It was a damn fine game. Um, but Fire Shark is the actual proper sequel to Sky Shark. And I never played the arcade one until a few days ago when my copy of this came. And I've been enjoying that game a lot. I now sort of realize, like, because I had played Fire Shark on the Mega Drive, and not knowing that the arcade one existed, I assumed that, like, Fire Shark was like a weird, slightly steroidal console only follow up to Sky Shark. And now mm. I know that that was erroneous. Um, 
but Fire Shark, also great. Um, if you've never played or purchased any of the M2 Shot Trigger series, which began with uh, Battle Gataga back in 2017, like the treatment of these games, the way they're done, the way they the way they sort of walk you through like how to wrap your head around the mechanics and like individual segments of these levels by virtue of the challenge modes. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, and just the level of detail, like attention to detail with the reconstruction of these games. Um, it's just fantastic. And now I'm like, I'm hell bent on, I need to own all of these. Um, and I'm just playing them on a consistent basis right now, enjoying the shit out of them. I also yeah. purchased based on your talk about them. Mm -hmm. I purchased Pocky and Rocky reshrined. Yeah. And Very that nice. game is beautiful. Mm -hmm. but it is kicking my monkey ass right now <laughs> up and down the block oh yeah that game it does not mess hard. around it does no, not mess around it really doesn't um but i also know that like i went through the same thing with wild guns less so with ninja warriors i feel like i had more of the proper mindset playing ninja warriors as somebody that's played a lot of side-scrolling beat-em-ups or old school action games like yeah. the mindset of what it takes to succeed for the ninja warriors once again totally got that dialed and that game just feels brilliant to spend time with but like wild guns definitely kicking the shit out of me Mm -hmm. And Pocky and Rocky reshrined. Oh God, it hurts! <laughs> <laughs> oh God, it hurts! And it's just—it's a beatdown, man. <laughs> I agree. Those—it's uh, like that with almost every shooter. I think um, you just got to keep playing it over and over. If it has patterns, if you know where the enemies come from, how they shoot their bullets, you just got to see that over and over again to get better. There's no way around mm -hmm. it. You're not yeah. gonna be like a a genius and just play it once and be able to get through it in one credit without dying. It's just impossible. absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. You just gotta take your lumps. It's like mm -hmm. the Dark Souls of shooting games. Yeah, just gotta play it over and over to get good. No mm -hmm. way around it. Get but good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you love what those you games. I'm I'm enjoying the shit out of it, man. What are you playing right now? Oh, um, I promised myself get back on Fantasy Star because okay. I didn't play it for months and I forgot what I was doing. And that's the worst thing you can do. I think I talked about it before and I fell to that cardinal sin. I didn't mm -hmm. play it for at least six months and I forgot yeah. what I was doing. You so, forget where you are. You forget what the next objective is. And yeah yeah <laughs> and it doesn't help that it, this is fantasy star which doesn't really give you clear ideas what to do next so mm -hmm. i actually did progress a little so i got an item for my i don't want to say anything but it helps you travel mm -hmm. 
Now I need to know where to go with this new traveling item. So that's where I'm at right now with Fantasy Star. Uh, I'm going to play it once a week at least, so that way it'll stay fresh no matter what. I already committed okay. Wednesday nights. That's when I'm going to play it. Nice. That's how dedicated I want to be. At least Wednesday okay. night, I got to play Fantasy Star for at least an hour. Um, yeah. So I started that. I played Pac-Land. Yay. Nice. And I actually completed one run of the game. Is this the arcade archives version on Switch? Yes. Okay. And uh, I got all the way to the Fairyland, and then I went all the way back to my pack home with my second pack wife and pack baby's stepsister, I guess. <laughs> yeah. The, it was weird to see that, by the way. You know, yeah. pack wife. But yeah, I finished one loop. I'm sure there are many more loops you can do, but yeah, got through that. Uh, looking forward to playing that a little bit more. And of course, Pocky and Rocky Reshrined. Um, I'm taking a different approach than what I usually do. Uh, usually when I try to play a game of this caliber, I try to beat it without on one credit without continuing, right? Mm -hmm. But I realized, number one, this game's freaking hard. Number two, I'm a lot <laughs> older. And I want uh -huh. to enjoy my games. So right. now what I'm trying to do is I it lets you choose the stage that you start off with. If you get to a certain stage, you can choose that stage to start off with, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to beat every stage at least on one credit. And then if I get to the next stage, cool. Then I'll practice that stage until I can beat it within one credit. And that's how I'm going to progress because, like I mentioned before, I just want to be able to get the patterns mm -hmm. and do it faster instead of forcing myself to gatekeep my myself and w not allow myself to progress, um, you know, like I used to. I used to be pretty hardcore about stuff like that. Or if I game over, that's it. No continue. But now because I'm older I'm just I don't care I'm I just want to practice and I just want to get good quicker so yeah that's I love it. it I mean what's the best thing you think uh, uh you've seen in Pocky and Rocky so far Oh man <laughs> That's really difficult lot. to say because there's just there's so much detail and beautiful little sequences of animation with all of the different enemy sprites and the bosses. Um, I don't know. I just like that game's just kind of kicking my ass right now. So it's like, I'll play that somewhat maybe get a little further in a specific level and then I'll put it down and then I'm going back to like Ketsui and Battle Gataga and the uh, Sky and Fire Shark games because those games are being a little kinder to me right now but yeah, I'm sure I'll get to spend more time with Pocky and Rocky in the next couple weeks and uh, be able to talk about it more. How far have you gotten? 
Stage three. That's where I'm at right now. Okay. How far nice. are you? Uh, I have not beaten the first stage yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, you got to know the patterns and yeah, it, takes, right. it took me a day. So don't mm-hmm. worry. You know, I mean, you're better than these at these games than I am. So you'll get it. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know about with these, man. Like it really, <laughs> it varies wildly per game these days. Like they're like, I also made the mistake of, um, I hadn't played next Machina in a really yeah. long time. And for a while, like that game was my shit. And I was playing it on a regular basis and I went back in and the game just handed me my ass and I couldn't remember where any of the secrets were. And I'm just like, Oh shit. I have to rediscover this all over again. Uh, so. I think you talked about this game a long time ago, right? On the podcast. Yeah. Uh, wasn't yeah. it? the game that is kind of like Robotron? Yes, it's a twin-stick-style shooter. Um, it's made by Housemark, who also made um, Returnal on the PS5. Um, if you want to pick that up for the... It's, uh, it's on the PlayStation 4 um, as a digital release. I think there's actually... There was a limited run physical release of that game as well, but um, that game is brilliant and sad to say, like, I don't think it met Housemark's internal, like, quotas for, like, what would qualify that game as a success, so we might not see another game like that from them again, which Mm. is unfortunate, but Next Machina is friggin' excellent and the soundtrack is fantastic, so... If you're in the mood for a killer twin stick shooter that really feels like just a monster arcade game, play that. All right. Get it while you can. Definitely. <laughs> while you can still download it. Cause because you never know these days. <laughs> exactly. As we always yeah. allude to. All right. Uh-huh. So on to the big question. Yay. Yes. So uh, this was this yours is, this week. Spit yeah. it. Well, been watching a few movies and shows that kind of deal with alternate universe story tropes. So mm-hmm. this kind of part my big question for this week. So the big question, yeah. you have been empowered to intervene and change the course of video game history. What industry event or milestone do you decide to disrupt or rewrite? Quantum Leap style. So maybe you'll walk into some uh, average Joe, average Joe or Jane's body, and you can right. fix up a little timeline that we have here for better or for yeah. worse. So Jane, so, let's start with you. One <laughs> momentous decision that I think back to that had a variety of implications for the video game industry mm-hmm. was when. Nintendo basically left Sony at the altar at yeah. the CES in 1993 and decided to instead partner with Philips for their CD-ROM expansion for the Super NES, leaving the like already functionally built PlayStation project, which was the combined cartridge and cd-rom unit um you know 
the ending of that project essentially spurred Sony internally because they were furious that this project was abandoned by Nintendo after Nintendo and Sony had partnered to create the sound chip for the Super Famicom. And ultimately, this you could argue that this is what led Sony into the market on their own with the PlayStation hardware by um, the tail end of 1994. Um, I don't know. Like, it's a wild thing to think about. Like, what if that hadn't happened? And what if Sony had been somewhat sated by the arrival of this other thing? One of the reasons that apparently Nintendo is alluded to is why they didn't pursue it is because part of the sort of licensing agreements that were being worked on, like who would get a cut of what, um, wasn't landing in a place that Nintendo was entirely comfortable with. Hmm. And it's also easy to see like Sony being pretty aggressive about that sort of thing because they were already in the software publishing business. Um, Sony image soft, I believe. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they also published a shit ton of other media. You know, they had this entire music publishing arm. And so it was this clear case of like, Nintendo certainly loved, you know, Sony's technological and design prowess. Um, you know, which is why they wound up getting that incredible sound chip from them in the first place for the Super Famicom. But in this case, it was almost where, like, Nintendo's just going, uh, we're really used to controlling all of this stuff, and these guys are right here. And, uh, I don't think it's the greatest thing. But, you know, it wound up ultimately proving a disaster for them because the PlayStation would absolutely kick the Nintendo 64's ass from a market share standpoint. Yeah, you know the entire rest of that decade. So definitely, it's really interesting to ponder. Like, what might have been if Nintendo had actually just plugged ahead with it? Like, would the combination PlayStation have hit shelves? And if it had, like, what would have been the result? It's almost easier to imagine like that unit hits the shelves. And it might have just proved a giant flop in the same way something like the Sega CD did. You know, you could see it like maybe coming out. Maybe there's some games for it. Maybe there's a couple that are really cool, but then maybe it just kind of withers and dies. You know, it doesn't, but it, it certainly wouldn't have become what the PlayStation juggernaut proved to be. That is an interesting thing to ponder. I mean, also, wasn't Nintendo kind of reluctant to go to a CD format and they wanted to stay with cartridges? Well, yeah, I mean, for the whole reason that they wanted to control the publishing of these things. I mean, third parties did not make a lot of money on their offerings for the Super NES. Mm-hmm. And we sort of know that that had long been the history of third parties 
creating games for Nintendo consoles. Like Nintendo's control of the manufacturing of those things really did not make it a great business proposition for a lot of these companies. Hmm. And ultimately, you know, that's why there was this incredible exodus of third parties to Sony's platform. Because Sony is basically like, look, these are CD-ROMs. You can kick these out cheap and we're going to give you a better deal because we want you to stop making games for Nintendo. Yeah. And that format definitely helped because, like you said, cost-effective. Right. And I mean, a lot of other publishers, I mean, you think of like Squaresoft in particular, like they had completely different notions of where their games were going to go, you know, that they were going to have these incredible orchestrated soundtracks and loads of CG scenes and much bigger game designs, all of which were not going to be possible with what Nintendo was planning for the 64. So. Yeah. It took a lot of uh, foresight to kind of see that coming. And it was mm-hmm. smart of Square to jump on board to Sony instead of sticking with Nintendo. Definitely mm-hmm. that. Who knows what would have happened to Square? Yeah. If, yeah. If there was a Nintendo PlayStation. Right. Oh, and I think there is a prototype out for that right now, right? Like, I think there's well, one yes. or two in the world. There, w- there was, in fact, a produced piece of hardware. And it's been seen in a i think a couple of different collectors hands um i know that at one point i think it was ben heck who um actually got one of the prototypes working i mean there's no real games for it but it does in fact have like a boot up screen uh, and that sort of thing so who knows who knows how different things might have been if um if that hardware had actually manifested and what, you know, it might've meant for all the other players. I mean, it might've been a completely different play field. So it could have been a very dominant Nintendo Sony, or it could have been a fractured Nintendo Sony. You bring up a good point. Would they have been able to play well together? Because yeah, that would have been awesome. Well, I don't know. Awesome, but very interesting to see. I mean, it might have kept a lot of third-party development still actually happening on a Nintendo platform. Yeah. But, you know, who's to say now? Yeah. I think at least it helped Sega a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the as time, much as it could have. I mean, Sega, you know, they continued to thrive just by virtue of how strong they were with their arcade titles. And, you know, you saw that with the Sega Saturn library, particularly in Japan where Virtua Fighter was a really big deal. And, you know, the Saturn was certainly far more successful over there because of those arcade roots. Yeah. So they could have still survived and still Mm -hmm. made video games and probably they'd be okay. And they probably still end up being a third party anyway. Right. So, so what would you have done Eddie? Oh, well, I initially thought of one thing, but changed it to another. Mm -hmm. Um, My initial thought was, hey, what if 
this is kind of going back to Sony as well. What if Sega saw what Sony was doing to their PlayStation and then with the Saturn kind of beefed up the 3D capabilities of that? What would have happened if Sega kind of changed course and right. kind of made it so that Virtua Fighter 1 and 2 were pretty awesome, even more awesome on the Saturn and mm-hmm. a little bit closer to the arcade equivalents? equivalents yeah yeah that was my initial thought uh mm-hmm. that would have made a uh, mitch happy definitely uh <laughs> our overlord at ruminations radio network.com yeah yeah he would have loved that um but mm, i kind of thought otherwise and what i really wanted if i could i i i wish i could quantum leap to the doctor that helped out uh satoru iwata and try to help him live a lot longer because i really miss him as a person i think he had such an influential impact on video games in general he was a unicorn man he was a guy who he knew how to program games Mm -hmm. with uh his experience at hal right was an avid video gamer. He knew what the gamers wanted. He knew what games should be like and how they sell well, how to make a great title. And he was just a great leader, business leader for Nintendo as a company. Mm -hmm. I mean, he wore many hats and he didn't hesitate to put several of his hats back on when he needed to, like, I think you heard about the Pokemon story mm-hmm. where they were having some problems with the, the code and, you know, he took off his uh, business hat and then uh, put on his coding hat and then helped out the developers and then got it out on time. And right. Who does that? Seriously. <laughs> right. Who, who do you know in the industry that can do all three? Yeah. Almost no one. No, there's really, really not very many. I mean, yeah, you can see, you know, in a lot of other industries, there's a variety of crash and burn stories where, like, a great player then tries to become a coach or takes, like, a front office position, you know, with, like, a professional sports team. And a lot of times that success in one aspect of a game or an industry doesn't necessarily translate into the others. Yeah. Definitely not easy. Right. Satoru Iwata just did it effortlessly. Yeah. He just knew he's just that good of a person that skilled and Mm -hmm. who knows what would have happened uh if he was still alive because from what i understand especially what reggie was saying uh in interviews and in the book he was saying that iwata was the driving force behind the the switch which is now super successful and they went from the second worst uh system in the wii u in terms of mm-hmm. sales to now yeah. currently the second best only behind the nintendo ds with the right. Nintendo switch and right. who knows what could happen what could have happened if 
Satoru Iwata was still alive. Well, again, that even illustrates like the complexities of these things because yeah, maybe they would have never developed the Switch if the Wii U hadn't come out and been such a disaster. Exactly. That was part you of know, the learning I mean, process. Taking all of those design lessons from an iteration of something that doesn't work mm-hmm. is just as valuable, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's what Reggie kind of talked about a lot in the interview I listened to from All Things mm-hmm. Nintendo, the podcast. Yeah. Um, he said, basically, uh, that's what they took from the Wii U. They said, oh, we didn't make it clear what this system could do for someone. Mm-hmm. And the the thing that we took that was good was the fact that, hey, if someone wants to watch TV, you just switch it onto your little Wii U gamepad. Right. But they the realize exactly, but then they realize, oh, if you go more than thirty feet away from the console, then you don't have the signal anymore, and you can't play it. But then they thought, well, well, what if we make it so that you can take this little unit off and go anywhere you want, no limits, and that's how the switch was born. So, right. Just like you said, they had to make those mistakes to reap success for show and it was just a matter of learning from those mistakes and refining it refining it want to make an omelet gotta break a few eggs yeah so yeah mystery water rest in peace my friend i wish you were still alive i think things would be a lot different now oh god tier for sure oh god tier right up there yeah yep so yeah Great, great question. Uh, I'm glad that you shared your uh, answer with me. Your, yours was very interesting. <laughs> I, I would well, have loved just trying it. to think of like moments when like the fates turned and like that's a particularly large one that like it's not the most obvious one, you know, yeah. unless you've been really paying attention to the industry for a long time, you know. Yeah, but, definitely. Yeah. But love it. I love this what if situation. So yep. good to kind of see. But yep. I'm still glad we still have stuff that we have today. So, you know, we don't have too bad right now. No, anyway, no, no. Yeah. I still have more than I can ever humanly play. So, yeah. No complaints. I, I think we're good off right now. But yeah. Yep. Anyways, that wraps it up for today's show. Thank you once again, James, for uh, yeah joining me and uh, having another chat with our listeners. And yeah, if you liked our podcast, please do rate and subscribe to the to us uh, on the podcast uh, platform of your choice. And yeah, definitely check us out and other podcasts on RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Peace out. Peace. Later.